about 40 years ago, exactly 40 years ago, this past July, a conference was held in Switzerland, and it, it was a conference that had pretty far-reaching effects. It was known as the Lausanne Conference, and it was pioneered by the Reverend Dr. Billy Graham. Billy Graham had, as you know, traveled extensively in numerous, numerous countries and proclaimed the gospel, but was beginning to recognize the need for a larger team to fill this work, to fulfill the call to bring the good news to the ends of the earth. And so what he did is he gathered anyone who considered themselves to be an evangelical to come to this conference and begin to work on how do we bring the good news into the various cultures and and societal situations in which we find ourselves. And about 2,400 or so people came to that conference from 150 different denominations, and some really noteworthy people were there, including John Stott, who was the general editor and the the chair for the work that they put together. Three major things came out of that conference that were interesting. One is a theological covenant that you can read if you go on to the Lausanne movement on the website, you can read it, a statement of mission, a statement of what, what we as Christians believe and what our mission to the world is. And not only that, but uh, Ralph Winter, a, a professor and a missiologist and a, a missionary, um, coined a term that we still use today. It was the first time this had ever been used. It was the term unreached people groups. We talked before that about going to different nations with the gospel, but Ralph Winter recognized that in each nation there are groups of people who uh, come together around a lot of different things, but there are small subsets of culture, and in many of these, they do not have a known Christian among them, and they don't have the Bible in their language. He called these unreached people groups. And a third thing came out of that conference that is really my purpose in bringing it to your attention today, and that was a call for holistic mission. Instead of just going to these people groups and telling them about Jesus, a holistic mission requires us also to care for their needs, social action as well as proclamation. Today, we're in a series talking about belonging, and we've been looking at belonging in the body of Christ and belonging to His church from a number of different vantage points. And today, I want to make this statement. The body goes where the head goes. Belonging to Christ means you go where He goes. If you, if you lean your head one direction, your whole body starts going in that direction. If you've ever taken driver ed and you're driving down the road, the teacher will tell you you have to be careful of where you look because where your head looks, the body will steer. So don't start watching the stop sign. You'll run right into it. But the point is that a body will have to go where the head is. Otherwise, it would have to be separated from that head. And to be a member of the body of Christ means that where Christ the head goes, the body goes. So we need to look at what Christ has done, look at what he calls us to do, and then join him in his work. And we see in Christ both proclamation and social action. These two great things are together in Christ's ministry. Now, last week, while I was gone, Dan preached and did a fantastic job. I listened to his sermon yesterday on proclamation, on witnessing, on taking the gospel, the message out to people, and making known the goodness of the gospel. Today, I want to look at not only making known the goodness of the gospel, but, but not word, but deed as well, both. So we're going to look today at the, the topic of mercy ministry, the concept of social action and serving the needs of the broader society. When I was in high school, a senior in high school, I went on my first ever mission trip. I was a brand new Christian, and I went with the youth group down to rural Tennessee 
We went to some Presbyterian church that was way out in the middle of what seemed to me a beautiful place, but really not much going on there, out in the sticks, as, as you might say. And our mission was to help that poor church repair their building and then run a vacation Bible school program for all the children in the neighborhood. We went and collected up kids from the streets and wherever and brought them into the church and we did puppet shows and we, we, we put on a presentation of the good news. And as far as my memory serves, it was the first time I personally had ever stood in a pulpit in a church and named the name Jesus and said something positive about the Lord. And, and what was interesting about that trip is I came away with, with these ideas about service, serving the poor. One is, it's a good thing. Two is, it made me feel good. And then three is, this is what Christians are supposed to do because I saw Christians doing this. But I want to know, is there another reason for social action? Is there another, a better, even a higher purpose for going out and caring for the needs of the world? I believe there is, and that's what I want to look at today. That conference in 1974 produced a, a, a document the Laosan Covenant, and this is one of the affirmations that was in it. Listen to their statement about service. We affirm that Christ sends his redeemed people into the world as the Father sent him, and that this calls for a similar deep and costly penetration into the world. In other words, God the Father sent the Son into our world, and the Son says, therefore, I am sending you into the world. So not only is it good to serve, and not only does it make us feel good, and not only is it what other Christians have done and are known for doing, but we do it because Christ sends us and commissions us. And we do it as an example and, and a furthering of the example Christ gave us, where he came into our problem. He entered our world, he, he left the glory of what he had before, and he entered into our situation and served us and loved us while we were unlovely, while we were broken and messy. And he came for dead people to make us alive, not bad people to make us good. He entered our situation. So I want to look at this, these two verses from Ephesians today, and you can, you can go to Ephesians 1 and 2 in the Pew Bible. It's page 978, and um, you might even have it memorized because oftentimes we use that verse as part of our offertory. So the Apostle Paul says in, in Ephesians 5 verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And then walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Those two verses are very interesting. Be imitators of God and then walk in love as Christ loved us. And in those two verses, we see three really big concepts. One is obviously the concept of mission, to walk in love, to go and live a life of love, extending God's mission. But also we see the atonement, Christ's death on the cross, a sacrifice, and we see the incarnation. All three of those are in here. When it says, as a fragrant offering unto God, when in the Old Testament, in the, in the Old Covenant, the way that they did their sacrifices is they actually burned things on an altar that put up an incredible aroma. I don't know if you remember about, I don't know, maybe 12 or 13 years ago, that, that hoof and mouth disease was going through England. My wife and I happened to be living there for about three months in that time, and we traveled, we drove from London all the way up to Scotland, and there were literally piles of cows on fire on the hillside. 
because the disease was, was spreading throughout and, and wiping out their cattle, they had to quarantine it, and they had to slaughter all those animals and burn them. As creepy as that sounds, the country smelled amazing. It smelled like a really good steak. I mean, as, as you would expect, right? It was, it was beef. It was grilled beef. And, and, and the aroma was so pleasing. And, and in the Old Covenant, they would offer things up, and there was an incredible aroma. And they would also burn other types of things like incense, which were symbolic of the offerings of the people coming before God. Now, God is not pleased with the death of his son, but he is pleased with the results of it, that he secured our salvation by laying down his life. His life is a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to Almighty God. And what a blessing that is to us. So these two verses speak of the atonement, where Christ took in our place the punishment that we deserve for our sin, and then in his place we get righteousness credited to us. It's an amazing idea. That is the content of the faith. That is what Christianity is all about. Dead people being made alive in Christ by the forgiveness of our sins. But not only that, it speaks of the incarnation. So where it says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Christ came among us. Incarnation means in the flesh. That's literally what that means. He is incarnated. He took humanity into himself and he lived among us. Christ entered into our problem. And that, you, you've heard me say this before, and I'll keep saying it, and I recommend you say it as well as you share the faith. That makes Christianity unique and stand out. It's the only religion where God comes to us. All the other religions are about us striving for God. And in the incarnation, Jesus comes and walks among us. He enters into our problem. He enters into our pain. And he comes to help us when we couldn't help ourselves. That's the incarnation. And what that means for Christians now is we are his hands and feet. That metaphor of the body is so helpful. You and I are the hands and feet of Christ in this world. He is accomplishing his work using his people. The mission is to walk in love as Christ loved us. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Salt and light is what Christians are supposed to be. You could say social action and proclamation, or work and deed, word and deed. So we are, we are called to go out as salt and light in the world. Now, light obviously helps us see things better, right? And, and the, the light of Christ is truth. And last week, Dan talked about bringing the light of Christ to people in darkness, bringing the light so that we could see. But salt is a preservative. It's also a seasoning. And we take for granted refrigeration today that we can just put stuff in the refrigerator and it, and it, it stays cold. My father-in-law cracks me up because he still calls it an icebox. I mean, it's not an ice, it makes ice, but it's not a, I mean, but we went from salt as a preservative to a box that you'd put ice in and then you'd put food on to refri modern refrigeration. But see, salt was, was added heavily to food to keep it from spoiling. So it was a preservative. In John Stott's book on Christian mission in the modern world, he says something that's very, very provocative. He says, when any community, not, not meaning the church, but any broader community deteriorates, 
the blame should be attached where it belongs, not to the community which is going bad, but to the church which is failing in its responsibility as salt to stop it going bad. And the salt will be effective only if it permeates society, only if Christians learn again the wide diversity of divine callings and if many penetrate deeply into secular society in order to serve Christ there. So what he's saying is, you can't blame a thing for decaying in, it, in and of itself, but you can blame the preservative for not being applied. And he's saying, we are the salt. We Christians, the church in the world, preserves its decay. It not only brings light to show it the way, but it preserves its decay. And the question is, am I going out into the broader community and helping preserve it from decay? Am I seasoning it as well? You know, we, we still do use salt to flavor things, and what salt does is it brings out the natural flavor in something. So it preserves from decay and it seasons. And those are the things that Christians are supposed to do in the world. Jesus not only announced the good news of the kingdom, but he demonstrated it by compassion and good deeds and kindness. And he saw that the people were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he took compassion upon them and became their good shepherd. He still does this today. He's still at work doing this, and he does it through you and I, through the church, through his hands and feet. We are his mouthpiece. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are doing what Christ is doing as the head. We are supposed to be. So where the head goes, the body must also go. Now, what do we do with this? Because you can hear that and think, I just need to get active and launch out on something and just start doing stuff. And that's, that's not a, a wise approach. But I would invite you, if you're in a group, some kind of a Christian group, to maybe set aside some time to ask this question. What good is there to be done? Because if you're like me, you're insulated oftentimes from the problems, or you're just blind to them. We tend to surround ourselves with believers because, frankly, I like the church. I love the church. I like Christians. It, Christian fellowship is better than fellowship with people who are, are not believers. It's encouraging to me, but that doesn't help me get out there with the good news. And it, help, and it keeps me sometimes from seeing the good that can be done. What good is there to be done? John Stock calls Bible studies, he calls them study and action groups intentionally so that it's not just always going to God's word and study, 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 and let's, let's be fellowship of Christians, but Let's go out and do something. What good is there to be done is a question I would encourage you to ask and spend 20 minutes thinking about it. I mean, where are the needs? Can we even see them anymore? And when it comes to Christian mission, just simply thinking, find a need and go meet it. That's pretty easy, but finding the need is, is hard because we have to open our eyes. So even as I prayed this morning, um, I, I, I prayed for God to give me his eyes and his ears so that I could see and hear with his compassion. His, break my heart, Lord, for the things that break your heart. Help me see these things and forgive me for my errors of omission. I just don't notice it. I become obtuse, and I think that happens to all of us. We get so used to walking by something that we don't even realize that there is some good that we could do there. So one of the things that, that I and the church are committing to is to help all of us know some of the great things that are going on. This church actually is very active in social action and doing lots of great stuff, but you may not know about it. So what, we, what we're starting to do this year is we're going to probably do a, a, literally, when I say a mission minute, I literally mean 60 seconds or less. We'll start to do on Sunday mornings and announcements a spot. 
just the spotlight on one of the many things that we're doing so that you can know what's going on and maybe get plugged in there. You also know that we're orienting all of our ministry into four categories, worship, belonging, mercy, and mission. And I call mercy serving those in need, and I call mission telling God's story. You could say it's salt and light. And so I'm encouraging every person who considers themselves a member of this church and, frankly, a member of the body of Christ to figure out where their ministry is in this season. What is the work God has given you to do? I mean, we, we pray that every day, right? Every Sunday. Send us out to do the work you've given us to do, but, but what is the specific work he's given us to do? Do we know what that is? Could you articulate it? If someone said to you, what is your ministry? You could then turn around and say, well, right now God has me doing this, this, and this. Here's my ministry, and be able to explain it. So I'm encouraging us as members of Christ, part of the body, to find our ministry and begin to serve, not just with word, but also with deed that people would see our good deeds and give glory to God. And those who are hurting would also see the good news in action. I came across a quote this week that I found really interesting. The idea that social action is the sacrament of evangelism. Let me say that again. Social action is the sacrament of evangelism. And if you think of a sacrament as being an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual reality... Well, evangelism tells the story of God, but social action lives it out. So it's not just, hey, the kingdom of God is coming, but hey, let me tell you what the kingdom of God looks like through my deeds. You matter to God, therefore you matter to me. Therefore your problems matter to God and matter to me. So I'm going to come and try and serve and help those problems, and people will, will, in a very practical way, receive the gospel. They will actually get ears to hear the good news when they experience somebody physically bringing it to them by service. Now, let me close with this quote from the 16th century. This is St. Teresa of Avila said this, Christ has no body on earth but yours. No hands but yours and no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ's compassion for the world is to look out. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. And yours are the hands with which he is to bless. So I'm going to pray right now, and I want to invite you to begin thinking about that question. What good is there I can do? God, how can I, how can I walk in love as Christ loved me? How can I serve? What is my ministry, Lord? Begin to reveal this to me. So let's bow our heads and let's pray for the Lord to speak to us on that. Father, I thank you that you have invited us into your body. I thank you, Jesus that you are the head. And I thank you for not only what you've done for us, but also the example you've given us. I pray for each person in here now that you would begin to speak a ministry to us. What good am I supposed to do, Lord? How am I supposed to serve you? Help me find my ministry. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.